0: So we're going to focus on the last times, the well, judgment day today, we're going to focus on the end. And um, we're looking at it in the context of hope, that is the word used in the Bible to describe um, uh, that, what would you call it? I don't know what to call it. That element, attribute, virtue, Christian virtue by which we are anchored solidly in an optimistic anticipation for the future. That the end will come, that God will put all wrong things right and that we have a future with him whether we know more tears or sadness or death. Last week we looked at the fact that number one, it is not fantastical. It's not. It's it's not uh, beyond the reaches of normality. But that actually written into our DNA are things like uh, suffering shouldn't happen, getting old and decaying isn't good, death is bad, and all those things will be dealt with at the climactic end. So it demonstrates even into our DNA those of us who believe and those of us who don't. We long for this salvation. We long for this rescue, this wonderful, glorious climax. We looked at it has been 2,000 years. The Bible says that with the Lord a day is 1,000 years and 1,000 years a day. So it's been two days. He's not slow about his promise. But he's patient, wishing for all to come to repentance, Peter says. In the last days, many will come scoffing, saying, where's, where's the hope of his coming? It's just, life's just carrying on. And Peter says, no, don't, don't get it wrong. He's not slow, but he's patient. We looked at that. We looked at the futility of a Christian faith that's simply here and now. That it's utter vanity to simply believe in Christ for this age. You ought to be pitied more than all people if you do so. And we looked at this mysterious link between Adam and Jesus, which, though it appears slightly random at first appearance, is actually central to understanding the Gospel, understanding ourselves, understanding Jesus Christ. We're going to look at two things today from that same book, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at how does resurrection work? What does the last resurrection look like? What's it going to be like? For those who who belong to Christ and are raised to life with him, what's it going to be like? With what body do they come? Is how the Corinthians asked Paul. And then we're going to look at the second point, we're going to look at the end of all things and the death of death. And rejoice in that together. So please, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49. I'm so sorry for for my technical, um, duncity. I attempted a PowerPoint last minute, and it got the better of me. So there isn't one. And I know that PowerPoints are really, really at the elementary stage. I recognise that. I decided to give up and eat apple and blackberry crumble. Sorry for my fleshy, my fleshy lack of sacrificial devotion to PowerPoints. Here we go. So just listen instead of look. Verse 35. For someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I love that. What kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he's chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There's heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What's sown is perishable. What's raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonour, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown in natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, you and me. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, our present state, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. God, please help us have an amazing time in this passage. Amen. Paul makes two points, two illustrations, if you like, to help us understand... How the Christian resurrection will work. How, how the last day's resurrection will work when those who belong to Christ will be raised from the dead and will be with him forever. The first point is this. He goes to nature and he makes this point. If, if you sow something, like a seed into the ground, before the thing that it becomes is raised out of the ground, the thing you sowed must die. It's a very simple point. If you've got an acorn and you want an oak tree... You have to say goodbye to the acorn to get the oak tree. You, can't, you don't end up with the acorn and the oak tree. It has to die first. Its present form has to expire. It goes into the ground and it dies. It's buried. It seems for a while that nothing is happening while the death process takes place. And then at some very exciting point, life begins. The resurrection. And what comes out? Paul's second point is very different From what went in. True. Written into that acorn. Is the oak tree. DNA wise in that sense. It's all written into it. But man it's very very different. Look at that oak tree. Compared to this acorn. Those are the two points he's making. It's got to be death first. And what comes out is different. From what goes in. And then he goes through this wonderful list. Comparing and contrasting. The body that we currently have. With what our resurrection body will look like. And so he starts. Verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Our current bodies are perishable. They decay. They're vulnerable to death. There's a decaying process going on. With some people more evident than others. Some people age really well. My wife being one of them. Others don't age so well, but all of us decay. We are perishable. When we are raised, we will be imperishable. We will not decay. I'll just. just, Some of you might think this. I know that, but I just want to show this is clear Bible teaching. This is that what the Bible teaches about your resurrection body. It will not decay. It will not be subject to the power of time. In that sense. There is no need to freeze yourself. I made reference to it last week. A growing trend of people with lots of money to freeze themselves so that when the cure is found for aging or decaying, for death, they can be unfrozen and carry on living. Can I just say, first of all, it is a noble aim. It's not stupid. The method is stupid, but the aim is noble. It's good. We're not made to die. We'll look at that as we go on later. That the Bible says that death is an imposter in God's creation. That we weren't made for death. So it's a noble aim to want to continue living. It's brilliant. It's a wonderful motivation. It's, a, it's one potential motivation for wanting to become a Christian. Because you want to live forever. There's more to it than that. But it's part of it. It's part of the way that the Bible motivates people to come to Christ. In him is eternal life. Life forevermore. It hits into that internal desire to live forever. That desire is there because we were made to live forever. The new body we have will live forever. It will be imperishable. Next thing, what is sown, it is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. Now the word glory in the Bible has two meanings. One is weight. It just, it's like, ooh, you know, some people have presence. It's like, man. I remember, (laughs) quite a funny story, of a, a very, very well-known preacher who went out for dinner with a number of other pretty well-known preachers. And my friend happened to be there. And he said the p- sheer presence of this first person reduced everyone else to gibbering wrecks. They would try to ask him questions and not quite be able to get the phrases out. These, these, these men that my friend we used to see on stages, very confident, were just altered by the presence of this person. I'm sure people are coming to your mind as I'm giving this illustration. Just people, they walk into the room and they feel it. There's a weight about them. The Bible, When the Bible says God is glorious, it means that in an ultimate sense. Imagine the most intimidating person you know, the most weighty person you know, times it by lots of zeros. You've got know the presence of God. The sheer weight of his presence. And it also means radiance, shininess. And what Paul is saying is that our presence in this age, though some of us are a bit more weighty than others, all of us are pretty lightweight, really. None of us are that impressive. None of us are really that shiny. We might have our beautiful moments. Wedding days and other moments where you you know, you scrub up well. But actually, it's fading. It's comparatively dishonouring to what we will be like when we are raised in a new life. That it will be glorious. There will be a weight of presence and glory and shininess about us that it's just it's gift it's not something we achieved it is ours in Christ his resurrection ensures our resurrection you're united with Christ through faith he brings you into this it's his gift of grace but it's who you're made to be you're not made to be the gibbering wreck in the corner you're made to be someone who knows who you are we begin to touch it and taste it as as we grow in Christ in this age increasingly we're able to look anyone in the eye and not, not be Crushed and intimidated. Not because of anything we are in and of ourselves, but because we know our God. We know who we are in him. And we're able to lift our heads up high. It's a sign of the age to come. It's sown in weakness, it'll be raised in power. We're frail physically, we get sick, we are vulnerable to these things. And we are limited in what we can do. That's just reality. If I have to say that even the strongest of us ones here are weak. We are prone to injury. We are prone to things going wrong. All of a sudden, you think, oh, oh, my back's gone. Those moments that just come, you think, uh-oh. <laughs> Happened to my dad in the garden. She lifted up the, sh- the shovel for a big chopper of weed all over for weeks. On the city, lying still, trap nerve. Sown in weakness. Raised in power. Raised in amazing power. The word, Bible word for power means the ability to do. There will be things we can do then. That we could not do now. When Jesus appeared to the disciples in his resurrection body, he would just appear in locked rooms. He was physical. I mean, keep heading on this. He would appear in locked rooms and then eat fish. Right? So he'd appear in locked rooms and they'd go, Ah, it's a ghost, because only ghosts appear in locked rooms. Then he said, got any fish? Yeah, what's he going to do with it? He probably gave it to me, expected to go straight through him, and he ate it. Thomas is like, I'm put my unless I can put my... Fingers in the holes. I'm not, not having any of it. You know, thinking. What? And then Jesus says, go on then. He's like, no. I'll worship instead. Because <laughs> it's physical, but it's, it's not. It's different. It's very, very different from what it is now. So, what's how does Paul put it here? It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. It's a body, but it's spiritual. It's not. It's, it's, the limits that we have are gone at that point. So I, said, I mentioned last week that we would not be floating around for eternity what I meant by that is this we won't be disembodied spirits on clouds with harps. There's nothing in the Bible to say we will be disembodied spirits on clouds with harps. Okay? But it does say that when the Lord returns, we will meet him in the air. So there is some floating ability going on. <laughs> yeah. Someone put me right on that last week. I thought I need to mention that, it's true. Why are we so gripped by Marvel and things like that? The superpowers. I don't want to get into you know a really weird place today. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But I do want to say we are... It's going to be different. It's going to be different. There will be... It's, it's a body, but it's spiritual. It's not just natural. It's going to have a whole... It's a whole different dimension. That's our future in Christ. It's absolutely glorious. And so the... the now, now, here's what you need to... Now, we to try and bring it back. The principles are familiar the acorn and the oak. But because it's familiar, you might look at that and say, no, it's amazing. Can I just can I just press pause and say, that is amazing. Imagine you've never seen that before. And I said, see this, if I put that in that brown stuff, it becomes one of them. What would you think of me? You'd probably laugh at me, you'd probably say, don't you wake up, what's the, what's the matter with you? How, how can that happen? But it, is it true? It's true, isn't it? That's amazing. And Paul points to that principle and says, please, just understand, it's all around you. It's all around you. That you can just get these little seeds and sow them into a field and then a few months later there's a harvest of wheat. And in each head of that wheat loads and loads more seeds. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's, that's, that's wow, what is that? Well, it's similar to the resurrection. In fact, Jesus used the same idea about himself. Listen to what he says just before he's about to get crucified. Jesus said this. He said, "Um, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So you've got a grain of wheat. Unless it falls into the earth and dies, it just remains a grain of wheat. It just remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he's talking about his own life, where he's about to fall into the earth and die, be buried and then be raised again, and as a result of his death and burial and resurrection, multitudes of little Christs, Christians, fill the earth. You see, it's happened in him, and so that, this principle is happening. It's not like I'm trying to introduce you to something that hasn't happened yet. It happens in nature all the time. It's happened spiritually in Christ as a human. It's happened to a human, Jesus. It will happen to us if we're in Christ. Please grapple with that, please get to grips with that, because it's very, very important. So that's how it works, that's the kind of bodies we will come in. Praise God. Finally now, the end of all things, and the death of death. I'm going to read you two sections from 1 Corinthians 15, it is wonderful, it's glorious. So the first is, uh, verses 23 to 28. It says, so, uh, start at 22. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive but each in his own order. Christ, who's the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he, that's Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Now that phrase there, rule, authority, and power, is talking about demonic rule. It's talking about forces, spiritual forces of darkness. So Jesus, after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power will hand his kingdom over to the Father. Verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's the age we are living in now. Jesus is reigning and all his enemies are being brought under his feet. As the church, the people of God, go forth and preach the gospel and heal the sick and cast out evil spirits and raise the dead. And bring in the kingdom through, through following and walking closely with Jesus through being filled with his spirit. As we do that, the enemies of God are being brought under the feet of Christ. That's, that's the age we are in now. That's what's going on. It's pretty, pretty big stuff. Mm-hmm. Verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We'll look at that in a minute. For God has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted, the Father, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to Jesus, then the Son, Jesus himself, will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. There's a program going on here. There's a, there's a very wonderful thing. The Father sent the Son to be King of the nations, to rule the nations as his Son and as a man, and as his anointed Messiah, Christ King. Jesus is ruling the nations now. He has all authority and power, and in his own Unique, mysterious, wonderful kingdom of God like yeast in a loaf type way is working in the nations through his people to bring about his kingdom. We're told in the end that his kingdom will be like a mountain that fills the whole earth. It will never be advanced through force. It will never be advanced through political intrigue and manoeuvring. It will be enforced through people who love God and love their neighbour and who speak the words of Jesus and who live kingdom lives full of the Spirit. That's how the kingdom goes forward. Many, many hearts and lives will be gripped as they come across the gospel and come across Christians and will give their hearts willingly to him in full allegiance. Every time someone gives their heart to Christ, the kingdom of God advances that bit more. That's how it works. Every time someone is saved, healed, delivered, the kingdom of God advances. And then the age will come where all his enemies are under his feet, where the purposes of God are fulfilled in this age. And right at the end, at the resurrection point, all that Jesus has gathered under himself with his people, he will gladly put in subjection under his father. And the purposes of God have come to pass. Amazing. That's where it's going. And then verse 50. I'll tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That means in our current state, we will not be able to inherit the fullness of the kingdom. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We cannot handle it. We cannot live in our current state in the imperishable, fully, uh, uh, fully consummated kingdom. It's too much. It will be too much for us. We, are, we cannot handle that. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means we shall not all die. But we shall all be changed. So those who have died in Christ at his resurrection will be raised. In his image, those who haven't died when he arrives will be instantly changed, as we're about to see now, into his likeness. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. There will be a sound that every creature hears. And we're told that the sky will be rolled up like an old gum. And the Son of Man, Jesus, will be seen coming in the clouds of heaven, and every eye will see him. And just like the lightning strikes from the east to the west, every eye will see might be some rumour, some strange person, oh Jesus has come down. Every eye will see him. The trumpet blast will reach to the core of our soul. We will know this is the moment that we were made for. The dead will be raised imperishable and we, those who are still alive, will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Earlier he said the final enemy is death. We sing songs sometimes and we kind of quote this passage and I I don't know if you're anything like me. I sing it and I sing it excited because I know that the fulfilment of this is inevitable because Jesus has done it all and so it is absolutely inevitable in Christ. Hallelujah. But I also know that this saying hasn't come to pass yet. And so loved ones and dear ones to me who may be sick and on heading towards death or people that I've lost or people that I loved and aren't here anymore I guess I still feel singing it it feels a bit hollow do you understand? it's a tension it's a, you think oh it sounds a bit triumphalistic singing that when so and on their deathbed or when so and so lost a baby you know you think oh can I sing it well we can sing it because it's inevitable but actually it's important that we know it hasn't been fulfilled yet and I think sometimes we sing it as if it has been it hasn't been Because he says here, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. At the end, this will come to pass. At that point, we will sing, death is swallowed up in victory. And we will shout out, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And death will have nothing to say, because the risen living one has returned, and it is death's Time up. And that final enemy. Will be taken under Jesus' feet. To be judged forever. Death is an enemy. Death is a spiritual power. That has got in on the back of sin. And that has been beaten through Christ's death and resurrection. And that, that, that victory will be seen and played out in full. At his return. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, you know you can. I want to just say this: this is sober. You can have "I did it my way" at your funeral, or any other song of defiance. But I tell you now: if you are not in Christ, you can have the ten most defiant songs you know at your funeral. Death will be laughing. Death will will not be intimidated by the most aggressive version of "I did it my way." Death will be laughing. Because the only person to have beaten death is Jesus Christ. And so unless you're in Jesus Christ, then when you die, you are in the grip of death. And so I want to, I, I guess any of you here, that you, you're, you're kind of hedging your bets or you're sort of, you're going, really you're thinking, I can do it. I can somehow win without Jesus. I can somehow be immortal or somehow, it, you know... The path that everyone else has gone, I'm going to cut a different path. It's different for me. I want to call you back from that futile pride and say, no, wake up. Wake up, please. Because there's only one who has beaten death, and his name is Jesus Christ. And victory over death is found in him alone. And so you need to humble yourself and come to Jesus. And then you can sing what you like, frankly, at your funeral. It doesn't really matter. I'm sure I know what it will be. It'll be praises to Jesus. But you will you will you will be in glory, you will be you will be with him. Your body may be cremated or buried in the ground, but your spirit will be with him, and you will be raised with a new body at his return. So we're going to just finish. How do we conclude? How do we apply these things? Okay, just a few things quickly. Firstly, those of us that are believers, I want to say this that although we are to be absolutely engaged with life, with culture. With doing the works of the kingdom in this age and all of that, there also ought to be some sense of detachment about us. Now it's a tension, but I want to say, and I think it's important that you understand it, do not get caught up with naive hopes of political solutions to this, that and the other. They will not work in an ultimate sense. I'm not anti-political. We need all of these various institutions and systems and organisations. Of course we do, it's part of God's common grace. But none of these things will create the utopia that you long for in your heart. None of these things will create the world peace that you long for in your heart when you watch the TV and your heart breaks. You think, what must we do? There will always be things like that going on. Jesus said there will be wars, there will be rumours of wars, there will be famines, there will be earthquakes. These things are the birth pains. It's the beginning of the things of the end. Okay? You need to understand it. So there needs to be something of attention that say, I'm going to totally be engaged for the glory of Jesus, but I'm also going to have a godly detachment. And you've got to work that one through, but it's important that you're able to walk that. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so only that which is unshakable remains. And this is the unshakable thing is the kingdom. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's unshakable. Shakeable. You can persecute it. You can crush it politically. You can crush it in a military style. You can try and do all you can to get rid of it. You can burn Bibles. You can destroy church buildings. You cannot shake the kingdom of God. It's something God is doing. It transcends everything else. It's, a, it's of another all. It's eternal. And God will see his kingdom come to pass and will establish his kingdom. End of story. So we need to have that in our minds as we go about living our, giving ourselves absolutely To serve the purpose of God in our generation, we need to have our eyes open. Second application is we need to be really, really encouraged if we're Christians. Jesus said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Listen, Listen, he's saying big things, you think, well how? Listen to the motivation. He says, believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. But Thomas said, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, What did he say? I am the way. I, I am the way. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be weighed down with the worries of this age. I've gone to prepare a place. And it's going to be amazing. And yes, there's enough room for you. He knows how we think. How many rooms are there? I bet there's not enough for me. What if I have told you I'm going to go and prepare a place for you if there wasn't enough room? No. Let not your hearts be troubled. Be encouraged. He's preparing a place for you. And finally, I want to issue out a challenge to all of us. I want to say this. Jesus Christ is King. And I want to ask you, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do? Because you can bow the knee or not, he's still king. You can choose to believe or choose not to, he's still king. He demands your allegiance, he demands your obedience, he demands your heart. He deserves it. He's the king. The Bible says that God calls all people everywhere to repent. That means to completely turn from trying to save ourselves, all the various things we do, and come to the one who can and will save us. Will you bow the knee? And I want to speak to to everyone, even those of us who say, I confess, Jesus, I want to say, are you bowing the knee? He's the king. Yes, he's your friend. Yes, he's your older brother. Yes, he's your rescuer. Yes, he's your sacrificial atonement. Yes, 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 but he's also the king. And therefore we're to bow our hearts to him entirely. And that's where we find freedom. And that's where we find joy. To be the slave of this king is the most beautiful thing you can imagine. It's true freedom. But well, there may be some of you here, you've never bowed the knee. You've never taken on your lips that confession. Jesus, you are the Lord. You are my Lord. Today is the day. Today is the day. You absolutely need to give your heart to Christ. Do not put it off. Do not Do, do not fall for the lie of, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. It's like anything. You won't do it today, you don't do it tomorrow. It's like anything. DIY, you don't do it today, you don't do it tomorrow. Okay? It's the same here. If you're putting it off, it's for a reason that's not good. Jesus calls you to give your heart to him. He calls you to repent of your sin. He calls you to turn to him and cling to him with all that you are. So do it. Do it for his glory and do it for the. Do it if you love your own soul. It's so important. This is life and death. Jesus wants to cure some people from religious game playing today. He wants to cure you from just going through the motions. It's just an absolute joke and you know it. I'm speaking words quite bluntly because I, I feel that for some of you it's an absolute joke and you know it. Okay? And he wants to say to you this is an absolute joke and you know it. You won't talk to everyone like that. <laughs> when you're a bruised reed he'll just come alongside and he'll just, he'll just, you know, he knows what you need. But there are some of you you, just, you really just need to strain it out because it's an absolute insult to who he is. It really is. Terrible. If you consider if you consider what he what he that he absolutely gave himself to you, and this is your response, is a complete insult. It'd probably be better if you just said that you weren't a believer, and you need to straighten it out with him and cause you to repent and repent properly and come to him, and he wants to take hold of your hand and he wants to run with you and he wants to teach you how to fly in the spirit again and he wants to, he wants to he wants to hear you whooping and laughing as he takes you on an adventure. So come on. And you just respond to it. You, you need to do that wherever you are. You, just, you, you do business with God now. You know what to do. Jesus. And I feel for some, you're just confused. You're just plain confused. And the Lord knows that. And his heart goes out to you. And he wants to bring clarity, restore clarity to your soul today. Because you're genuinely, you're, you've tripped up and you don't even know quite how it's happened and you're in a fuzz. And he wants to really help you. And I want to just say, Please come find one of the pastors here. We'd love to help you. We won't be, you know, we'll be tender and gentle with you. We just want to tell us where you're confused and we'll just open the Bible up and gently just see what the Word says and God will bring clarity to you. He really wants to help you. And some of you, I feel the Lord wants to speak. Some of you are just so hungry for me. just for, oh man, you could burst. And uh, during this time of singing and praising and breaking bread and wine, just, just draw near to him because you know what? The Bible says if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And pray at your heart and tell him what's going on. And you, God, God is here, man. You know, God is here in our midst. In our midst. Just draw near with our hearts. He's so worthy.